Well, here we go. Long story short, a few weeks ago, we wanted to accept the challenge of walking our church through Genesis all the way to Revelation in about 12 or 13 weeks. And it's a big job. These messages do build on each other. So if you were not able to be here on any given weekend, it's real easy to go to our website and watch them online because it really matters that you see kind of what's happening. If you want to really, by the end of this, we believe you're going to know what happened. Genesis all the way to Revelation. All the crazy stuff that happened in between. And so we hope that you'll follow along. Now last weekend, first we started with creation. Pastor Jeff did an amazing job there. Then we took this whole idea of the promise. Remember the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and what that looks like. Today, Abraham now is gone. He dies. But we still have this phrase in Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of that promise. But now today we're dealing with what is the great exodus. The reason it's called that, for those of you who may have no clue about the Bible... There's a book in the Bible called Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. And it's the entire story of how the Israelites came into captive by Egypt and then grew in numbers to like over 3 million people for about 430 years. And they became captives or slaves by this madman called the Pharaoh, which is believed to be Ramses. And so today we pick it up with this idea that now Joseph had great favor with the Pharaoh. There was a point, just to put the timeline in perspective, when, when Joseph was born and his brothers sold him into slavery, he uh, was taken by Egyptians who in, ended up putting him in prison. He was interpreting some dreams. And the Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret, so he found out about Joseph, brought him to the palace, And Joseph became second in command over all of Egypt. It was a great day. It ended up that his whole family came. Jacob, his father, came and brought about 70 family members. And that family began to multiply and multiply and multiply. But here's the problem, and this always happens. Time goes by. That Pharaoh who loved Joseph died. Joseph died. Jacob, his family, everybody died. And they kept having babies, and they kept growing. And now, according to the book of Exodus, there's, there's all, this, all these amazing people for 430 years. They have grown. There are millions of them. And we find out that finally Moses is born. Now, Moses is a big part of this message today. And so I want you to think about this idea of where Moses is in this story. First of all, the new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph all these years later is a very wicked man. He thinks he's God. He allows worship of himself. A lot of pharaohs actually believe they were divine and they were deity. He looks out and he says, wow, that's a lot of Israelites. He hears the stories of how all that happened, how they've multiplied. They're over three million and it makes him scared. I want to tell you something. There is nothing worse than a powerful authoritarian leader, dictatorship that becomes insecure. Right? We still see it all over the world. And this guy had something to prove. And so he says, I don't want these people taking over Egypt and and overthrowing me. So we're going to turn them into slaves. And that's how Egypt began to build their cities, their roads. They had so many slaves. They treated them with disdain. And awful things happened. Meanwhile, over here, Moses is born. Moses, if you know the story, I I don't have time to go into all of it, but... 
Um, he escapes in a little boat. His mom puts him in a little boat so he's not killed. And he's picked up by family members of the Pharaoh himself. So he is spared. When he's uh, a young man, he sees a, an abusive taskmaster out in the field abusing somebody. He goes out there and he kills him. He doesn't mean to kill him, but he, he, he accidentally kills him and it's murder. So when he realizes the guy's dead, here's Moses, this young man, lots of life ahead. He goes, wow, i got to hide this. So he tries to hide it, but some people saw him try to hide it. So then he comes back in and they say to him, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy in the field? So then he knows if he goes back into Egypt, they're going to kill him and they're going to arrest him. He's going to spend the rest of his life either he's going to die or he's going to be in prison. So what does he do? He runs off to the desert. He works for his father-in-law named Jethro as a shepherd. Now, he's decades old by now, and God is going to show up in the middle of this desert for this ex-con. <laughs> Can I call him that? Uh, I want you to get this because he's hiding. He wants nothing to do with seeing people. He wants nothing to do with the God dream. He, God is pursuing him. He isn't pursuing God. He's just minding his own business. He's a nomad out in the wilderness. And we pick it up at Exodus chapter 3. Follow along. This is that big day called the burning bush where God shows up. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was being engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Just a side note, if God calls your name twice, pay attention. <laughs> Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, I want you to notice verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of, here we go, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why did he say that? He said that to remind him of the promises that have been passed down from generation to generation. And he's reminding Moses of those promises. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. That's the big story of where we pick it up in the book of Exodus. I would encourage you to go read especially maybe the first 10 chapters of Exodus to really get your head around how all this happened because it's an amazing journey. The first thing in your program on the back page, there's an outline. Follow along if you want to, and I'll have you jot some things down. The first thing that I want to say is kind of a, it's important because of, of who all of us are, and that is this. God uses the unlikely. God uses people that are flawed. God uses people with imperfections. As a matter of fact, God doesn't look for the best, the brightest, the sharpest, the most qualified. God looks at the heart and he sees stuff that we don't even see in ourselves. Amen? It's true. That's what's happening here. You don't, say any, you don't see anything in Moses. As a matter of fact, Moses doesn't want to have anything to do with this. 
and you don't see anything in him that's desiring. He's not, you know, praying every day, oh, God, use me to my fullest potential, <laughs> which is a great prayer. I think we should pray that prayer. But you don't see this in Moses. As a matter of fact, God says, I want you to go to the Pharaoh. I want you to tell him I am that I am has sent you. That's the name of God. And I want you to tell him to let the Israelites go. So Moses, you can read it. He argues with God over and over. And that's where we pick it up in Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not your guy. Okay? I'm not now. You know, even though you have spoken to me, I get that. I, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. I, I, can you imagine this conversation where he's saying, I, I, God, um, um, I, don't, uh, um, uh, uh, I don't think I'm the guy. And God's just smiling. And God hears it all. God sees it all. God knows it all. Have you ever felt disqualified to be used mightily by God? You're not alone. As a matter of fact, if you know Scripture very well, you're going to see as a reoccurring theme these 12 weeks, pretty much everybody God puts his hand on to using greatness doesn't feel very great. Pretty normal, pretty average, but God sees the heart and God sees the potential and God has a plan for you that you'll never see in yourself. Why does God use the unlikely? Why Moses? This guy, I mean, you look at all the components. He's angry. He kills this guy. Then he runs away. He's in hiding. And God shows up. And he says, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I'm a stutter. I can't do this. Why? I think God knows, too, that Moses is never going to become self-reliant. He's always going to lean hard on God. There's a good lesson here for us to pay attention to. Um, I also think God sometimes uses the unlikely because we're, we're pretty... Cautious to give God credit for everything. You know, if you've ever met an arrogant leader that thinks they are the gift to the world, it's not very pleasant. But when you meet someone who's humble and they love God and they know it's beyond their ability and they're leaning hard and they're learning and they're just trying and they, they recognize they have a long ways to go, there's something endearing about that. And I think God really loves that kind of a, a spirit and that kind of an attitude. Maybe God likes to show off his creation. Maybe he likes to take people who don't have it all together. There's nothing wrong with knowing your talents, your gifts, and being good at them. But make sure, make sure that you're offering those to God. And even in your confidence that it's a God-centered confidence and not just a self-arrogance. There's a big difference. God uses unlikely people. Number two in your outline, the change process is rarely what we think it will be. Now, we're going to enter something here that, that Moses doesn't realize the hardship and the Israelites don't realize the hardship that's going to come to get them to freedom. And we normally don't really pay attention to the path, quote, of success. If you want the freedom of God, the process to get there might not be what you think it is. As a matter of fact, it might get worse rather than better. And here's what happens. Moses does what God asks him to do. He's nothing but obedient. And so he goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. I am that I am has sent me. And the Pharaoh says, no. 
says, well, this is what you're supposed to do. The rod becomes a snake, leprosy in his hand, all these miracles, all these things. No, no. Well, let us go and, and cry out. Let us pray to our God. No. So here's what happens in Exodus 5, verse 6. That same day after Moses had been there, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelites' foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out and he's mocking them. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. We have a madman in leadership. And I want to say something because if you think of who you have authority over in your life. Just give it a quick thought right now. You, you, some of you can fire people. Some of you can, can deduct their pay or give them a pay raise. Some of you have a lot of say in different people's lives. Others of you are at the victim of your boss. What's it like to have a really good boss? What's it like to respect someone who has authority over you? Then let's do a good job with authority. One of the takeaways of this message is Pharaoh did not do a good job with the authority he had been given. He was insecure. He was scared. He was mean. His heart was hardened. The Bible talks about that hardened heart. And I was thinking about pay attention to how you treat people when you have authority. Pay attention to that rule, that reign. What kind of a leader are you? Our culture would be so much a better place if everyone who had authority would, would be careful and cautious and, and, and offer to God that responsibility of stewarding that authority in someone's life. Here, here's why. We all have equal value in the eyes of God. And the minute people who have authority over someone think they're more valuable than someone else, they've just messed it all up. God says, I love all people the same. So there's equal value. We all just have different roles. And that's very important to us. So sometimes things get worse before it gets better. I, I think if you're in a situation right now where you said, why is this happening? I mean, now I'm working harder. It's more oppressive. I don't know. Where did God go? That's exactly what the feeling was. And I just want to say, um, keep trusting God. Keep holding on. Exodus 5. Let me take you to the next chapter, verse 22. Moses sees what happens and this hard labor. And then Moses goes back to the Lord and he protests. Look at this. This is so honest. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has, he has been even more brutal to your people. And you haven't done, you've done nothing to rescue them. What is Moses doing? Moses is trying to say to God, don't I have a real complaint here? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've been obedient. What are you thinking? <laughs> Come on, be honest. How many of you have ever said to God, what are you thinking? Can I just say one, one thing and we'll move on. God likes your honesty. Even when you're frustrated, you can bring it to God. Even when you're mad, you can bring it to God. I've yelled at God before. I've wept before God before. I've had hard questions that I didn't, I didn't think God was being fair. I have all those journeys in my life, and I just, I just always go back to saying, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I'm going to trust you anyway. I've made a commitment to be on a path where God wants me to be. And listen, that's not always easy. 
Sometimes it's not what you expect, and it's not your wish list, and it's not your dream, and it's not all perfect. So keep that in mind as you go. Number three, why do we settle for bad routines? I want to camp out here just for a moment because this point is where America and the world are living right now. We have settled for slavery. We have settled for bondage. We have more addiction in our nation right now than ever in its history. We have laws that protect people who are addicted. And it's just, it's just something that we have to think about and talk, and talk about. Here's how it went down. Just to give you the perspective here. One more time, Moses goes to the Pharaoh, let my people go, no. Okay, then there's going to be plagues. God's going to show you that you're not God and he is. And this is what's happening here. It's not just to be mean and make people suffer. It's saying to the Pharaoh, you don't have the power over nature, but I'm the God who does. Because these Pharaohs thought they were deity. And they're not. First is the plague of, of water to blood. Man, that'd be awful. Then frogs. Yuck. By the way, these plagues did not come on the Israelites, only the Egyptians. Lice, that's gross. Number four was probably one of the worst flies. Have you ever been camping, like, around the fire, and you're just like, you know, if I was the pharaoh, I would have been like, okay, get out, get out, get out. We're done. Flies everywhere. Then disease livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness for three days. The last one was the death of the firstborn. And that just broke the camel's back, as they say. And the Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. Go. So, here goes three million people. You can't just pack your suitcase and head out on a flight tomorrow morning. They have to plan. So they're planning. They're getting ready to go. Pharaoh starts thinking about his loss. So they're on their way across the desert now. And the Pharaoh, once he sees this incredible exodus, he's like, who's going to build my roads? Who's going to build my cities? I'm saying goodbye to all this slave labor. I want them back. Let's go get them. So he puts his army together, and they start chasing them. Oh, joy, joy. And this is that great point where, you know, they come to the Red Sea. The Israelites cross on dry ground. The water's part wide open. God is with them. The armies of Egypt come through. The waters collapse around them. They're all swallowed up. Man, they celebrate. They sing a song. There's all kinds of festivity going on. And then they're out there on the other side. They are now free. They are no longer slaves. They're trusting God day and night, and they start complaining. As if their freedom were not enough. Listen to this, verse, six, uh, verse 1 of, of Exodus 16, or verse 2. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And listen to this. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat, and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. What's happening here? And they complain over and over and over. God starts dropping manna from heaven. All, this, all these miracles they know. But it wasn't some of the comforts that they were used to. Now here's where I, I, just, I just want to talk about human nature. Why is it that we become comfortable with the routine of addiction? And I'm not talking about healthy addictions. You know, you can't just say to someone, well, stop it. Heroin will kill you. Well, stop it. Alcoholism will kill you. Because people don't stop it. Why? Because that routine of addiction becomes set in their mind. 
And it becomes a part of people's lifestyle. That's why addictions are so tough to break. And sometimes we don't even realize, we don't even realize the world we live in and how addicted it is and how our own lives. And God is working really hard to set us free. But just like the Israelites, we long for the day when we were slaves because at least we knew what we were going to have there. At least I could count on some, some food. I could sit around the fire and have all the bread I wanted. Oh, I know I worked all day and I'm a slave, but there was some good in that. And sometimes we take comfort even with our addictions. And God is saying, I want you to be free of that. I want you to be a person who doesn't have to live with those addictions. That's why it's called the great exodus is because God's saying, I want you to be people who are free of that stuff. That's still God's heart today. Let's be people who are free. Let's make choices that are the right thing. Bad routines are sometimes easier than the changes required to live in freedom. I have some observations that I'm just going to quickly rattle through. And you can do what you want with these. But there are three there that I think we should ponder just before we wrap up. First of all, the journey is more important than the destination. This whole preparation of, of how God showed up for the Israelites and the journey he's taken them on and the, 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 the run toward freedom, all of this is part of God's plan to prepare them to trust him. All their complaining, he saw their heart. All of it's saying, will you trust me to be your provider? That's, so, that's not easy, you guys. We like to have a plan that says I have it all, all in place. God says, no, just keep walking. I'll provide for you tomorrow. I'll provide for you the next time. And this, it's about the journey. It's about the daily trust. I sometimes, I, I view it like this. It's like if all my life, I just, all I want is to get to there, then I just, it's all I see. And I'm rattling around trying to get this job, trying to get that job. Oh, I meet someone, I marry, I have kids. I, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm just, I'm focused on that. I, I got to get there. And sometimes you end up here and go, whoa, this isn't so great. What if instead we said, today's a new day. I don't know if I'll ever get there. It's not a bad dream. But I think I'm going to embrace everything going on in my life right now. I think today I'm going to look at who I have in relationship. I'm going to look at my neighborhood. I'm going to look at my life and family. And I'm going to say, God, what have you put right in front of me? Oh, I can still move forward. I can still have dreams. I can still trust God. But I know it's more about the journey than it is the final destination. Because God is with you in the journey. If you're struggling today, God is with you in the journey. You are not alone. He's developing you. Character, integrity, trust him when it's hard, when it's difficult. Number two, do not let your past disqualify you from your future. Man, if, if I could just give the whole message today on this one point. Because I see people, I absolutely see people who get lost in this point right here. Moses of all the people, why in the world did God choose him? He, he wasn't qualified to be this kind of a leader. And he told God that. You know, I can't do this. Look at me. I don't have the gifts required. And God says, I see your heart. I know what you can do. I trust in you. Boy, insecurity, inabilities. When, when I look at, at people who, who live in the past and they, they made some big mistakes and it buries them. And, they, and, and Satan is really good about putting that shame on you. 
It's like, a, it's like a blanket that's kind of been soaked and it starts to mildew and it covers you up and it's all dark in there and you can't peek out and see the daylight and Satan has you trapped because you're not really good enough for that job. You're not good enough for this relationship. You're going to settle for this because there's no way you can measure up to that. One of my favorite things is watching people who start their journey here at Timberline doing their community service hours. And every now and then I'll see someone new around here and they're cleaning the building and I'll stop and say, I don't know if I've met you. Yeah, I'm doing, you know, I have 200 hours I have to do. And, and it's just, it's not easy. Our, our staff and our team who, it's amazing the stories though. We now have full-time employees who came to us doing community service, who came to faith, who felt the love of God, who have changes in their life. Why? Because they're in a path, they're in a journey. But, but sometimes they can hardly look you in the eye because they're ashamed they're embarrassed about what they did. They don't like their past. And I just want to say to you, if that's you today, give that to God today. Recognize that God knows all that. He sees all that. But his plans for you, as Jeremiah said, are for you to prosper. For you to go forward, go to the next thing. Moses was used mightily by God. People stop believing that God can use them in greatness because of their past. Let's not do that anymore. The last thing, number three. Don't let your inabilities... Keep you from trusting God. Don't let your inabilities, not just your past mistakes, but just the lack of giftedness. Well, I'm pretty average. Perfect. I've never done that before. Great. You're just who we're looking for. You know, I, I, just, I just wonder in heaven, I don't know how this works, I just wonder if God's up there looking around and he says, he says, Hey, I know who we can use to get the Israelites out of there. Moses. <laughs> I wonder if they're all like, <laughs> No, I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they weren't. But it's this idea. It's just this idea that, that he didn't have the abilities to, to be this great leader. And he said it, his whole leadership. God, I told you I couldn't do it. I told you I would fail. I knew this would happen. God says, hey. You may not fully believe in me or in yourself, but I fully believe in you. I got this if I've got you. Sometimes all you need to do is give your all to him and let it lay there. And let God raise you up and let God be the, the job provider. Let God do the stuff in you that you can't do in yourself. Let's trust God for that kind of greatness. Would you pray with me? Lord, this matters to us right now. This is an important moment of conviction. And we want to make a decision to keep trusting you in these difficult and challenging times that we live in. Lord, we are open to what you're saying to us and what you're doing in our behalf. We trust you. With heads bowed in here, and I know for some of you in the South Auditorium right now, I want you to respond just like I'm asking here. In a minute, I'm going to have some of you stand to your feet and I'm going to pray over you. There's two reasons why I want some of you to stand. Number one, you need to be free of something. It might not be sin at all. It might be a past mistake. It might be a bad decision. It might be a relationship. But it haunts you. It keeps you back. It holds you back. And today, when you stand up, you're breaking the back of that doubt. 
And you're going to stand for freedom. You're going to say, Lord, I am no longer going to be held captive in Egypt. I'm going to the promised land today and I'm taking my stand today. The second reason I want you to stand is if you need to believe God for a new dream, you're stuck. And you're offering yourself when you stand and you're saying, God, I don't know where my future's going. I'm scared. I don't know what's happening. But I'm going to believe you that you have another part of my life that you can spend on the stuff you want to spend it on. And I stand today with expectation of you opening those doors. I'm going to trust you. So I want to pray over some of you. Please stand now if you know that's you. Some of you as couples need to stand together. You've talked about this very thing. If you're comfortable with this and maybe you know someone around you standing and you want to put your hand on their shoulder or whatever, feel free to do that now as I lead us in a prayer. Pray with me, church. Those in the south as well. Lord, thank you for my family here, my brother, my sisters. Thank you for our living room where we talk about real life and your presence is here in a very rich way. And we trust you right now. We trust you to help us to walk out of the bondage of Egypt into the freedom of Almighty God. A new beginning. For others, the dream that you want them to dream for the purposes to live their life with. We ask this. Put favor upon them. Put wisdom upon them. Let them walk with the integrity of the Lord. And thank you, in spite of our weaknesses, <laughs> you have a plan for our future. And we can trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give these folks a hand. You can be seated. God bless you guys.